And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. The Mick Lust Buckets. That's right, my friends, the Mick Lust Buckets. And uh, so we have buckets all over the stage with uh, apparently lust buckets, I guess. And, uh, and so we want to talk about that a little bit tonight. And as I, was, as I was getting ready, like just the name, just so you know, as we say the lust buckets or the Mick Lust Buckets, don't think that's a new phrase. Oh no, we've been calling people lust buckets for quite some time. It's actually very, whenever you see someone that is, uh, you know, obviously lusting too much, and you'll be like, hey, lust bucket, you cut that out right there. And uh, so we, that, that needs to become a new part of our, of our culture here, that phrase. And, but I was thinking about it, the McLust buckets, and, uh, and it kind of got me thinking, it just, doesn't it sound like something you would buy at McDonald's? The McLust buckets. Can I, hey, can I get a McLust bucket and a chicken? Or I don't, you don't get chicken at McDonald's, but... So I was just thinking about that, and how many of you guys ever seen, there's an old movie, uh, or kind of movie, documentary, uh, Super Size Me? Everybody ever see this? Yeah, basically it shows that if you eat McDonald's, you die. And uh, so we actually watched that one time with some of our, with some of uh, DLA, and, and uh, it, it, we watched it, and interestingly enough, so you watch this movie, and this guy, basically the premise is that he go, eats McDonald's for every meal. That's all he does. And, uh, and he goes through the drive-thru, and if they say, do you want to supersize that, he has to say yes. And, uh, and so he is breakfast, lunch, and dinner eating McDonald's. And, uh, and it is quite interesting to see what happens to his body as he um, gets fat. <laughs> as he gets uh, quickly, his body begins to deteriorate. Actually, his doctor tells him he has to quit or else he's going to die. And, uh, and so, anyway, we watched this with some of the interns, and um, it made us all really qu- crave a Big Mac, so we went to McDonald's for lunch right after. <laughs> and uh, so that's just what it is, but uh, we're going to be talking about lust tonight. Oh, oh yes, and, uh, and even I, I commend all of you for coming, as Dave told you last week, that that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. I'm glad you're here. Well done. And, uh, and so, I, as I was thinking about McLust buckets and my story, you know, the, the idea of McDonald's and everything, it kind of made me realize that lust and McDonald's, kind of the same. I mean, if you think about it, they're kind of the same thing. For instance, you know, it always sounds really good before, but then you feel sick after, you know? Or like, you always want to go to McDonald's late at night when you're tired, you know what I'm saying? That's some similarities there. I mean, you can, it's, it, 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 it keeps going. Like, if you just, if you think about this, there's a lot of similarities between McDonald's and lust. Everything always looks better in the picture than in real life. You know? You know? It's just true. It's just the way it is. And, and you get it, and, and you're like, you're, you're so craving it, and you're craving the, the French fries and the Coke, and you're like, oh, this is going to be so good. And then you eat it, and you're like, these French fries are so old. This is disgusting. And then they get lost in your car. And that really has nothing to do as the same, but it just happens. You know, but there's just, there's a lot of correlations between the two. I just, I was just realizing, you know, like it, it, it's everywhere. It's everywhere we look. They, they try to, they try to get you when you're young so that you'll be hooked for the rest of your life. I'm telling you, you could just keep going. Just think about it at some point. Think about the similarities between McDonald's and lust. They're all over the place. So, but tonight we are going to talk about uh, 
the McLust buckets. I've actually had friends on the McDonald's theme. I've had friends that uh, decide to try and class up McDonald's a bit. And so they dress up in suits and dresses and they take nice silverware and plates and a tablecloth and a candle and they go to McDonald's and they set a table and, uh, and then they order and they eat their McDonald's in this like fine dining type of way. Yeah, you can't class up McDonald's. It's still McDonald's, you know. At the end of the day, that's fun and all, but it's still just McDonald's. And, uh, and you're still going to feel gross afterwards. And, uh, you know, it's still, it's fake again. Same. See, see the correlation? It's fake. It's not real. Not even real meat. So anyway, uh, so we're going to talk tonight. Proverbs 6. We're, we're in this series uh, in Proverbs. Proverbs 6, verse 25 says this. It says, Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread. Do not lust in your heart. Do not let her captivate you. For the, for, and and as, as the, the writer here is talking, he says this, she will reduce you to a loaf of bread. Which I think is really interesting because even if you think of what a loaf of bread is, is that a loaf of bread gets consumed. Uh, the purpose of bread is to eat it, is you consume it. And so even the idea here that lust begins to consume our lives. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 27 through 28. He says, You've heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's a really interesting thing if you see what Jesus does here is, is Jesus is taking the Old Testament law. And see, a lot of people want to talk about Jesus like, uh, and even in his day they did this, as if he was trying to water down the law. And, and Jesus was saying, no, 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 no. I'm not here to water down anything. I'm actually going to raise you one. I'm actually going to say that not just, and this is where he says that it, it's not just do not murder, but don't even hate. Uh, he says, it's not just don't commit adultery, but don't even lust in your heart. And so this is really, this idea of lust really is, uh, I believe, an epidemic, epidemic in our culture. Uh, it's everywhere we go. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's becoming the norm. It's becoming normal for people to think that, uh, that, that, e- that young people your age are just consumed with lust. And you're consumed with, you, you can't help yourself and you're just, you're always um, wanting to get some action or something, you know. And, and that's just not the case. It doesn't have to be the case. But it's what's become the norm in our culture. If you look, about, look at it, it's assumed that every young man is... Uh, looks at pornography. It's assumed. It's assumed that couples sleep together before they get married. It's assumed. It's just, it's what people assume in our culture today. Did you know that uh, pornography, it's talking about pornography, the, the, uh, that business makes $57 billion a year. $57 billion a year is more than the NFL, the NBA, and MLB combined. More than those three combined is how much money Americans, how much money people today are spending on lust. It's becoming an idol. It's becoming something that we, uh, that, that, that we consume all the time. 90%, 90% of, of young people from age 18 to 16 have seen internet pornography. 90%. 50%, I'm just throwing out some, some, some stats here, 50% of people before the age 25 have an STI. 50%, look at your neighbor, look at your neighbor, be like, it ain't gonna be me. <laughs> oh, come on, like you mean it, it ain't gonna be me. 
I'm telling you, we live in a culture that is trying to say it's normal, that's trying to say it's okay, that's trying to say, yeah, whatever, be controlled by your flesh, be controlled by what your desires, what you want. That's no problem. And it's just not the case. In one week, in one week, think about that. I want you to think about this. In one week, you will see more, uh, more murder, more sex, and perversion in one week than your grandparents in their entire lives. In, in our culture today, with TV and internet and magazines and, and everything we do, and, and just billboards and life in general, you will see more in one week than your grandparents their entire lives. And so I think that it is something that we need to address. And, and listen, as I'm talking about this tonight, what I'm not wanting to do in, in any way, this is not a guilt talk. This is not a how dare you talk. This is a, hey, let's be a people that rally behind the idea of purity and righteousness and run after Jesus, and we can. And it is possible. And I believe, let me speak to you young men, I believe that we need and can have young men that from an early age are not consumed by lust. And I think that you need to start believing that about yourself. You need to start believing that you don't have to give in. That you don't have to just go with what the culture says. I want to read a Bible story. Can we read a Bible story? I like Bible stories. I'm going to start uh, actually and read James 1. James 1, 14 and 15 says this. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. See, that's the process. That's how it happens. What's, what starts off in our mind quickly becomes, that's what we start thinking about, we begin to desire. Those things are what lead to our actions. And when we act in sin, that sin leads to death. And so I want to look uh, at, at one of the McLust buckets in the Bible. There's some lust buckets in the Bible, too. And uh, how many of you guys ever heard of King David? Anybody know King David? Yeah, he was a good man. And uh, he was a great king. And there are a lot of incredible stories about him. Uh, there are a lot of stories about his, his relationship with the Lord and, and the victories that he had. But he was a very real person that had very real struggles. So what we know about David is we know that uh, as a young man... He was a shepherd boy, and he would play his little harp on the side of a, of a hill with sheep. And, uh, and when, when uh, the prophet was, came, the people of Israel said, we want a king. And, uh, and so Saul became king, and then, and then he did some things to fall out of favor. And so the Lord wanted to anoint another king. So the prophet came and uh, came to David's house and, was, and, and looked at his dad and was like, hey, uh, one of your sons is going to be king, and so uh, I'd like to see them. And so he was like, yeah, sure, bring him out. So he lined up his sons, and the prophet looked over all of them, and he was like, uh, are, are, there, are there anybody else? And, uh, and he was like, oh, this is my, these are my sons. He was like, yeah, yeah, surely you have more. And he was like, well, there's this one kid. He's, he's my son, but he's, he's just a shepherd boy out on the hillside, and surely you don't want him. And he was like, no, go, go ahead and bring him. So he bring David in. The prophet anoints David to be king. It says, God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, and he sees David as the heart of a worshiper, and so he anoints David to be king. We then fast forward, and and the people go to war, and David, now anointed to be king, is still a shepherd boy. So David's the one, when his family's away at war, he goes, and, uh, and, and he goes to hang out with his brothers, and he sees who? Goliath. 
giant Goliath, and he's like, hey, uh, what's that guy doing over there? And Goliath is like, hey, fee-fi-fo-fum. And, uh, and David is like, how dare he? And so David says, hey, God's told me, I, I, he, how dare that guy speak against my God? And so so we're gonna, we're, I'm going to take him out. And the king's like, you'll never do that. You'll die. You're a kid. And David's like, I'm doing it. So he took his stone and his slingshot, and he threw it at, at Goliath's head. And uh, the best part of the story is that that didn't kill Goliath, but Goliath fell down. David took Goliath's sword and cut his head off. That's how Goliath died. That's kind of my favorite part. Then he chased the Philistine army with Goliath's head. So here's this little 16-year-old guy, kind of crazy, running around after an army with a giant head in his hand. This is David. David then becomes, continues and, and builds a, a friendship with, with uh, Saul's son. And uh, gets to meet the king, and he begins playing his music to soothe Saul, because Saul was psycho. And so uh, he, began, he would play music to soothe Saul, and then Saul was like, I hate David, and he'd start throwing spears at him. And then David was this great warrior, and people loved David and not Saul. I'm telling you this whole story of David's life. And, and so people were like, oh, David's, or Saul's killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And so then Saul wanted David dead, so David went into the wilderness, he ran from Saul. He had a couple times he could kill Saul, but he wouldn't do it because he said, I won't touch the Lord's anointed. David was a godly man. He said, I won't touch the Lord's anointed. He waits for God's timing, and eventually David becomes king. And he's, one, and he's a great king, and he's a, he's a very successful uh, warrior king. And they would go out in, in under uh, with the Lord behind them. When they would go to war, they would win. And David had many, uh, many victory comp- campaigns, and he was known for that. And when we look, if you want to open up to 2 Samuel 11, this is an interesting thing. They had just got back, they had just got back from, from a big war that they had won. And here is David, and, and, uh, and he's hanging out. And in verse 1, I'm just going to read through this a little bit. Verse 1 says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war... David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And they destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabah. But David remained in Jerusalem. It's an interesting thing. So what this is saying here is that in the spring, this was apparently a time when, when if you're at war, in the spring was when you go out to war as a king. So at the winter, you're at home. Uh, but in the spring, kings would go out and they'd be a part of the war. And David here doesn't. So he's not doing what he's supposed to do. Now, some people say that it's okay, and he's actually, like, maybe it was normal for kings to not, uh, to not go out if they didn't want to. But see, David, David wasn't an old king here. He wasn't like an 80-year-old king that was near dead, and he couldn't go to war. He was young. He was still a young king and, and very able to, and he should have been leading his troops. He should have been leading the troops and his mighty men. You guys ever heard of David's mighty men? He had 30 mighty men. They were his boys. Are we good? Check one. And these were the guys. These guys were crazy. <laughs> what should I use? What should I use? Are we good? All right. And so he had these mighty men. And these guys were the kind of guys that killed lions with their bare hands. And uh, they were great warriors. And, and he sent them off to war. But he stayed behind. Verse 2. One evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was beautiful and David sent some... By the way, tonight's kind of a PG-13 night. Just want to let you know. 
it's a little bit of a PG-13 night. You may need some parents cons- parental consent if you're listening to the podcast. All right. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out who, uh, about her. The man said, isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent, to the, sent the messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent the word to David, saying, I am pregnant. There's a lot that happens in that paragraph. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Here's what, David, here's what happened to David. He was, it, was late, it was late at night one night, and he was laying there, and he was like, man, I could really go for some McDonald's. He was feeling the craving for McDonald's. So he got up, and he started walking around, and he walks out, and he sees across the way uh, a young lady who was, probably should have been bathing inside. And, uh, and he sees her, and, and, and in that moment, his thoughts begin to think on her, and he notices that she's attractive. And, and, and in that moment, he chooses to not do the right thing of, of, of being like, oh, oh, I shouldn't be seeing that. that this is not, that's not mine. That's, not, that's another man's wife. Instead, he's like, hey, someone go find out who that is. And, uh, and so they come back, and they're like, oh, yeah, David, uh, her name is Bathsheba. And uh, she's, she's Eliam's granddaughter, uh, you know, your boy, one of your mighty men. And David's like, oh, yeah. And he's like, yeah, she's also the, the wife of Uriah, your boy. Uriah, one of the guys who's in your posse. Not just, not just a guy in the army, but like one of your 30, one of your best. That's his wife. This is one of your best friends. This is a guy that has committed himself to you and willing to die for you. It's his wife. You know that, David? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Hey, you want to go grab her for me? This is a bad moment for David. And so she comes and doesn't really have a say in the matter because he was king and Got to, whatever, we'll move on. And uh, so they sleep together. And, uh, and then she calls him. She's like, she maybe texts him. And she's like, hey, uh, I'm pregnant. And David's like, no. And she's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh. So we go on. Verse 6, so David sent his word to Joab. Um, send me Uriah. And Joab sent him David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him, how was, uh, asked him how Joab was and the soldiers were and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and the gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all the master servants and did not go down to his house. See, here's the thing. Uh, as, a part, as being a soldier in this time, if you were gone at war, you were not allowed to go home and be with your wife. You weren't allowed to go be with your family. And so Uriah, even though he came back from war, was a, such a man of integrity. He, he was like, man, this is great. I have a chance to go see my family. But he didn't. He, he, he wouldn't do that because that was, as, as a soldier, he was committed not to. So he slept outside with the servants. And when David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, haven't you just come from a distance? Why don't you go home? Uriah said, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could, I go to, how could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So, so Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. 
But in the evening, Uriah went out and slept on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. Here's what, David, here's what, here's what David's doing here. David gets the text message from Bathsheba. And he's like, oh, man. It's not good. Uh, hey, Joab, can you send me Uriah? Because I bet you maybe, maybe I'm trying to cover for myself. And uh, if I can get Uriah to come back, you know, and then he'll go see his wife, and then he'll think it's his kid, and I'll be in the clear, I'll be good. So he brings him back, but he has too much integrity for that. So then David is like, well, why don't you stay another day? He gets him drunk, and he's like, maybe if he's drunk, he'll go home. And the whole point is he's wanting to play it off as if what he did, his sin, by the way, his sin of, of cheating on Uriah or, or, or having Bathsheba do that was punishable by death. By the Israelite law, what he did was punishable by death. And, and so he gets him and he's like, maybe I can play this off as if nothing really happened. And, and Uriah will think it's his kid and, uh, and we'll be all good. By the way, this plan would not have probably worked as David was, was from Israel, was an Israelite, and Uriah wasn't. Uh, he had come and so anyway, so they probably looked a little different, and he probably been like, that ain't my kid. Anyway, uh, so I'm just, just FYI. Uh, then David said to him, oh, so we already read that. So verse 14, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting, where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king this account of battle, the, king, the king's anger may flare up. Uh, and, and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to, to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerubabethshelah. <laughs> Didn't a woman throw an upper milestone on him from a wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, also your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. So here's what Joab is doing. Joab lost. And he's like, um, bro, you got to go give an account for what just happened. And uh, I wasn't so smart in my tactical strategy there. And uh, so David's going to be pretty ticked. So he's, here's the questions he's going to ask you. He's going to ask you why I was so dumb. And when he asks you that, here's what you need to say. Uriah's dead. And then we should be good. By the way, one of the interesting things, I just, this has nothing to do with anything I'm talking about tonight. But one of the questions he says that David is going to ask is, uh, who killed Abimelech, son of Jerubbethsheth? Didn't a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes. I don't know what that has to do with anything. He's like, oh, so you're going to go tell David that all these people died? And he's going to ask about this dude that we thought died at this other battle, but he didn't. He really died here. But he, David thought that some, someone threw a stone on him back there. So he's going to ask about that. And when he does, just tell him Uriah died. I don't know why that's in there, but it is. So, so the messenger goes, verse 22, and he sent out. And when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, the men overpowered us and came against us uh, in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. The archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite died. David told the messenger, say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. 
The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. So Joab knows that he has made mistakes. Joab knows that he's an idiot. But he knows if I just tell him Uriah's dead, then David will be fine. David's getting the account of what happened on the battle. And in this moment, he's not caring what happened. He's just waiting for the words that Uriah has died. And as soon as he heard that, he was like, "Ah, all right, well, you should go. Joab's pretty depressed right now. And uh, you should go tell him it's all going to be okay. What is, what is David doing? Here's a man who from early days was known as a worshiper, who was is, who is sought after God. What is he doing in this moment? When Uriah's, uh, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After that time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. It's quite a story of how David's desires led to actions which led to death. And we see that it was his lusts that led to his actions which led to death. Not just death of Uriah, certainly death of Uriah. Also the child that was to be born died. Um, Interestingly enough, uh, um, Bathsheba's grandfather was one of David's mighty men. And later in 2 Samuel, when we read about uh, Absalom's uprising and trying to take over David, one of his greatest uh, partners in that is Bathsheba's grandfather, who turns against David. His lusts led to his actions, and his actions led to death. It's a very clear picture of of what the scripture in, in, in James was saying. And uh, as we read it, it's interesting here because it says, but the thing David did had displeased the Lord. Do you know that that is the first time that there is ever anything negative from God about David in the scripture? All throughout the Bible, God loves David and God is proud and, and, and there's positive things. This is the first negative thing that is said from the Lord over David. It's, it's a pretty interesting story, I think, as we see just what it looks like, just how it happens, that lust, and this is the problem. This is ultimately the problem as we talk about lust is that it gets in our brain and it messes with the way you think, which then messes with the way you live, which then really does lead to death. Uh, there, uh, there's a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he says that in that moment, in the moment where lust takes over, it's not that there's a hatred for God. It's not that all of a sudden we turn our back on the Lord. It's that there's a forgetfulness of him. It's that we purposely forget because we want to rationalize what we're doing. And the truth is, is that if we allow these things to fester in our lives, it will start out as desires but it will quickly lead to actions and will eventually end in death. Proverbs 6, 27 through 28 says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? Basically, the idea is that you can't can't play with fire. If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. So I want to invite my beautiful wife, Amy, up here. It's here for Amy. She's hot. 
Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a little bit of time. And uh, one of the things that we do a lot is we get the opportunity to sit at, uh, oh man, sit and talk to people kind of over coffee or maybe over McDonald's in this case. And, uh, and we, get to, we get to talk to them about things that, the, that are going on in their lives. And um, a lot of times it is shocking how much this topic is what we end up talking about. And so people your age, it's what we're talking about. People five years older than you, it's what we're talking about. And I have seen time and time again that this is one of the primary ways that the enemy wants to bring shame on young believers' lives and take them out. And so what we want to do is we want to take just a few minutes here together and we want to have coffee with you. And we just want to share some of the things that we've learned. And, uh, and, and basically what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the idea in Proverbs that can a man scoop fire into his lap without being burned? We want to identify tonight some of those coals that we so often scoop into our laps. Because even as I'm talking about lust, the truth is, is that for many of you, you're probably only thinking of, oh, he's, you know, tonight is a night they're talking about why we shouldn't look at porn. Or why we shouldn't, you know, watch movies with nakedness in them or something. And while that definitely is part of what I think you should not do, um, that's not it. That's not the whole of what lust is. And so we want to talk about some different areas that where we see uh, this concept of lust, how it gets in and it begins as a small seed, a small thought. But if allowed to stay, it leads to actions that are sinful, which leads to death. So we want to talk about two different areas. Lust in your private life and lust in your public life. So the first one, uh, the first one, uh, but if you have, uh, one, it'd be really great. If you have pen and paper, we're going to talk about a lot of things here in the next couple of minutes. We're going to talk really fast. And we're just going to, we're going to go through a ton of things. It would be awesome if you have a pen and paper just to write these things down. And uh, you can chat about them later uh, because we won't, we could go, we could spend the whole time on one or on each and every one of these. So I really encourage you guys to take some notes here. The first, thing, the first thing we're going to talk about is your private life. What are, what are the coals that we heap onto our lap in our private life? And I would say the first thing is, is our eyes. First thing is what we look at. Job 31.1 says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a, lustfully at a young woman. Even look at Psalms 101.3. This is David. Remember the story? We just talked about David. David learned from his mistakes. And David said, I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what, what faithless people do. I will have no part in it. That's a man that has learned. That's a man that, that learned the hard way. That what he saw with his eyes led to actions that burned him in the end. So the first thing that I would say is the importance of uh, making a covenant with your eyes or looking and, 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 and making sure that what we see is right and godly. And so for fe- you fellas, I think this is really easy. Fellas, I'm talking about movies. I'm talking about um, the internet. I'm talking about video games. I'm talking about doing the double take. You know, the, you know that move? Sometimes you got to triple. Ooh. You know, like, we don't need no double takes. So that double take, you, listen, you, someone walks by, you, you can't help but see them. You turn your head and look again. Boom. Lust. What? So I don't want to see no double takes. Hap- Ooh. You know, and the second one's always longer. It's like. But what you look at, so fellas, I think all of us in here need to really realize that what we look at shapes how we think, and how we think shapes how we act. 
And so, uh, so it's really important that we, we, may, we, like Job, make a covenant with our eyes that we're not going to look at any woman lustfully. And I think for you ladies, um, for us, this so looks like romantic comedies, um, which I know are like, oh, but they're so clean, they're so funny, oh, they're so great. But I can't tell you, I, we went and saw this romantic comedy recently, and I left the movie theater just disgusted. Because what it does is it's, it might be clean and not bad. Your parents might be okay with it. But what it's doing is it's creating this fantasy world that's not real. And it's creating a false expectation in your heart of what your life is supposed to look like, what love is supposed to look like, what romance is supposed to look like, what happiness looks like. And so it creates this false standard, this false reality, and it's all fake. And so it creates this expectation that will never, ever get met. And so I just want to confront that real practical. We're going to get real practical tonight. Um, Just want to confront that practically. When you watch romantic comedies and movies and, um, for instance, uh, even all those wedding shows, TLC, oh, that wonderful channel, Um, it's it's, it's awakening something in you, one, that it's not time for. Mm -hmm. So I just want to confront that for you girls. Um, You know, the bridal magazines, all what that stuff that you're putting in front of your eyes may not be bad. A guy's not going to look at you and be disgusted. Um, but it's creating, Actually, yeah. no. <laughs> um, but for us, that's what lust looks like. So yeah, I just, my favorite one right there is the bridal magazines. Are you serious? Like when I was in high school, there'd be girls in the back of the room huddled around these magazines, l- planning out their perfect wedding. I'm like, listen, that ain't for this time. You can't have it right now. You can't afford it right now. It's not for you. You're creating this like fantasy world. Hmm, what does that sound like to you? So I, I, I definitely agree with that one. Uh, another one is, uh, is your ears. So first your eyes. Your second is your ears. What you hear. The things that you hear. So do you want to talk about that one? Yeah. Um, so I really like hip-hop music. Um, and there was a season where I... Um, when we were dating, and I listened to rap and hip-hop, like, all the time. And because I just loved the beat. Like, and people, and he would listen, he would hear it and be like, do you know what they're talking about? I'm like, no, I just, just like it. It's just so cool. It just makes me feel so good, you know, and fun. And, um, and I began to realize that I wasn't really paying attention to the lyrics, but what it was doing to my heart. And it was awakening something in me. Um, and that it wasn't time for. And so I just want to challenge all of y'all, pay attention, because that stuff is affecting you. There is a real fight and a real battle going on for your thoughts, for your attention, and for your affection. And don't be passive. We want to call you out of passivity tonight and just what the culture says, what your friends say. No, this is going to dictate your future. So let's get aggressive. Let's be aware. What are the things that we're putting in front of our eyes? What are the things that we're just allowing ourselves to listen to, but we're not really paying attention to? That stuff really is affecting you. Yeah. I mean, I think even the point there is the practicality of that. Even if we always hear, oh, you know, don't, don't tell me. I know the lyrics are bad, whatever. I mean, that, that's the age-old conversation between parents and kids. 
And, uh, but, but I think even Amy's saying here for her, she realized it really was true. And though she wasn't paying attention, the things that those songs awakened in her, and I'm not hating, we're not hating on, on that kind of music, uh, it, it, it necessarily, maybe some of it. Um, but, but the things that it awakens in you uh, is, is unhealthy. And so, you know, I would say, no, let's not sing, yeah, let's go all the way tonight, you know. And uh, let's, uh, let's, you know, I mean, Katy Perry's fine and all, but uh, let's not, that's not necessarily something that I think you should be walking around singing, you know. And, and because even as you sing it, uh, you're, you're speaking that out over yourself. So, uh, Well, I think that um, we need to ask ourselves, we watch something when we listen to something, is it glamorizing any ideas, any values or situations that oppose what you believe? Um, and then also, does this, does this show, does this magazine, does this movie website leave you feeling dissatisfied or depressed about yourself? Or does it cause you to be hungry for unhealthy relationships? So I think that needs to be our filter and the things that we ask ourselves and what we're listening to and what we're watching. All right, the third one uh, in your private life is your mind, your thoughts. First Peter 1 Peter 1.13, I love this. Says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Christ is revealed. Prepare your minds for action. 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If we would be a people that would take our thoughts captive, that would actually, when, when, when something comes into your mind, you start thinking, okay, Jesus, what do you think about this? Is this right? Is this good? It's amazing, one, how much less you'll talk, but two, uh, just the way that those inner lusts will dissipate. Because if you take those thoughts captives, then, then, then you're like, okay, Jesus, I don't know why I just thought this. What do you think about this? I, you're right. I don't want to think that. And you cut it off from the beginning rather than what normally happens is you think on it and then you do something else and you're like, oh, remember that? And you think on some more and you think on some more and you think on some more and you don't want that. So, uh, so I'd say for you fellas, um, they say that guys, uh, that guys take like mental Rolodexes. Like when we see something, we take like a mental picture. Uh, I, I don't know if that's true for you or not, but I think it's one of the reasons why it's really important that when we think something, when something's in our mind, that we take it captive and say, okay, Jesus, is this from you? Is this something right? Is this good? Is, is this good and pleasing to you? No, no, oh, you're, okay, then, then I don't want any of that. I think it goes back to what I said earlier. One of the biggest things about the mind is that we rationalize things. And, uh, and so that's the, where I said that quote from Bonhoeffer earlier, the, the idea that in the moment we rationalize why this is okay. We rationalize why if it feels good, then it must be good. We rationalize why uh, if I like it, then why is it bad? And, uh, and we end up giving in and, and, and suffering from that. I think ladies, we're, they're not alone on this. For us, I think this looks like idolizing and daydreaming about the future. And going back to the whole wedding analogy, it's a good, pure, holy thing. Yes. However, that is not anytime soon for any of you. I can just tell you. Um, if you're sitting in this crowd, it shouldn't be. Um, and so what we do is we daydream and plan. We are planners as women. And we're creative. And, um, and so I just want to confront 
daydreaming about that, fantasizing about that, and taking your thoughts captive, and just knowing that that's awakening something in you that it isn't time for. And it's more miserable in the long run than pleasurable in the present. That's good. Okay, so those are the things that we, uh, there's far more, but in, in the private sector, the private life, uh, how this, the, the coals that we usually heap in our lap, uh, I want to transition to the public life. And uh, the first thing I would say is your mouth. The Bible says that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So let me tell you, fellas, straight up, uh, if you are coarse joking, if, if there's coarse joking, if there are stories, you know, sensual stories, if you're making sexual innuendos, those things, not only are they, um, not only are they indicators of what is in your heart, they're also compounding the problem. And so I want to challenge us as DSM men that that's not something that we do. That we don't find joy in coarse joking. That we don't think what the world thinks is funny is funny. Uh, Because if we allow those things that we speak with our mouth, again, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So one of the biggest indicators that this is something that you struggle with, that that you need to overcome, is what you're saying and what you're speaking. And so as men, let's get control of our tongue and let's, let's cut it off. James talks about having control of the tongue. And, uh, and in so doing, if it, it's, it, the tongue is like a rudder that steers the ship. And if you can do that, then you can start to steer your heart so that it's not giving in to these things. For you ladies, this looks like seductive and manipulative conversations. And what I mean by that is if, you, if you're using your words or your actions to manipulate some boy into meeting an emotional need that makes you feel better about yourself. So, um, if this is, you know, talking about um, uh, sexual things that you're going through, like, I would just encourage, like, you're at an age where that's going to happen, and things are changing. (laughs) I feel like this is an education class. Um, I know, it just got weird. (laughs) Um, But here's the thing. Don't talk about that stuff with your peers or with the opposite sex. Like, don't talk about it. Like, that's what, I mean, we, there are tons of leaders that want to be here for you in this season to talk through that stuff. And so I just want to challenge you to not talk about your sexuality, um, things that you're experiencing, things that you're going through, things that you're feeling, ideas that you're having with your peers or with the opposite sex. Okay, your time. Men. Um, I'm just going to be straight up honest. If you are a couch potato spending hours watching movies, watching television, playing video games, I said it. If you waste hours doing nothing, then this will take, you, take over you. If you are, this goes back to the mind. If you are numbing your mind, and while you're numbing your mind, you're putting in all these, uh, all these images and all these ideas. And, and when, I, when we talk about movies and TV and, and music and all that, I want you to know it's not, it's not simply what you see. It's the ideas behind it. It's the ideas that, that, that are getting in. That's what's really scary. What's scary isn't what you see and you know is wrong. Because there's things you see and you're like, I, I know this is wrong. And maybe sometimes in that moment you choose to indulge, but, but at least you know it's wrong. The dangerous thing are the ideas and the innuendos and the, and the, and the small seeds that are planted that, that, are, are, that get hooked in your heart. 
And so I would say for you men, if you're being lazy and you're being mindlessness on the internet, mindlessness as you, if you waste your life playing video games or watching movies, you are inviting this to come in and take root. Um, And I just want to just kind of throw this idea out there. But I think that most of our lust issues would be solved if we had a bedtime. (laughs) So here's what I mean. If we decided to go to bed at 10 p.m., get up at 6 a.m., and not hit the snooze button, but get up out of bed and go to bed, I think most of our lust issues would be dealt with. So I just want to call all of you to that. If you're struggling with this, get a bedtime. Have a curfew for yourself. That's good. That's because you always want McDonald's when you're tired. All right, fun one is, uh, not maybe not a fun one, but next one, your appearance, the way you appear. Can I talk about that? Um, okay, ladies, here's what I want us to get a vision for, is that we have the opportunity to display the attribute of God, of his beauty. And so I want to call us to redefine what beauty is and get a vision for it. Because if you have a vision for that, then that'll be your filter for what you wear. When you realize whose you are, who you belong to, you belong to Jesus and you get to display his, the attribute of God of his beauty, you have a motive and a reason for why you wear what you wear. Um, so here's the thing real practically, your undergarments are called your undergarments for a reason. So that means your undergarments need to be under your clothes and your undergarments need to be under your clothes. Okay. Um, here's the other thing I want to confront is what I used to call in high school. Now I know it's not summer, but we'll get there eventually. Um, we used to call them blue jean underwear. And what that means is your shorts are just a little too short. So I just want to just ask you girls, what are the motives behind what you're wearing? Is it because you're wanting to get attention or is it because you know your value and you're displaying God's beauty? Um, So I just want to ask you for yourself, for yourself to care about um, what you're portraying. Because what you show, what you put out is what you're going to get. And I would hope that you would desire to be with a mighty man of God. Because let me tell you, he will spot a scandalous woman a mile away. And he will avoid you. So what do you want? What do you want your future to look like? You really determine that, part of that, by how you dress. I think you feel as you don't get a hall pass on this just because you don't know how to match colors. (laughs) Uh, Truth is, fellas do this too. Guys do this too. We don't necessarily... Uh, love shopping and buying clothes, but um, you know the guys that uh, you know they like take their shirt off at every possible opportunity. You know, like if there's any reason that they could possibly not be wearing a shirt, they're not wearing a shirt. Or even in, even in terms of now, I, I think there's. I don't want to go too far because, like Amy's saying, we want you to to dress well and look good. Uh, I think it's beneficial. I think I want all of you to be healthy and work out. But if you're if you're working out because you're like, oh yeah chicks jig triceps, you know, then, then you have to know your motive. 
And, uh, and so I would say, even in talking about appearance, what you're doing is you're lusting for their attention. And so, and, and honestly, you are causing other people to stumble. You may be causing other people to lust. But what Amy was saying is so huge. We're not saying fix this or deal with this or whatever based on, oh, we don't want other people to. It's not about other people. It's about you. It's about you feeling valued, you knowing your value. And it's about you being a man or a woman of God and saying, I'm going to dress or look appropriately. And uh, so anyway, so dudes, when you're in the gym, make sure you're doing it to be healthy, not because you want to have massive pecs because the girls like it. And keep your shirt on. (laughs) All right, last one. Uh, Last one is your actions. This is your actions. Flirting. There is a time and a place. So I'm not saying... 32. Yes. <laughs> so I am not saying never, ever, ever talk to the opposite sex or smile at them or laugh at them ever. Um, but there's a time and a place. So those, some of you girls, we call it the flirt beast. And it is out all the time because you want attention from guys. And you want to kind of have a flirtatious conversation with a boy because you leave that conversation and something is satisfied in you after having that conversation. And that is unhealthy. Mm-hmm. That's not right. That's showing that you don't know who you are. You find your value in men. And ultimately, that is going to lead to some really bad, regretful decisions down the road. If you keep down that path, don't, it's the whole idea. Don't play with fire. And so I just want to ask you, so what is flirting? Um, this is such a hard thing to define, but it's, it's laughing a lot and, and touching. Don't touch boys. Just don't touch them. Um, because, because this means something to him. You may not think that this means anything, but it does. And you're letting him know something that you may not have intentions for. But you leave that conversation feeling satisfied. Why? Ask yourself why. Yeah, this is a big one for for guys as well. I can't tell you how many guys uh, even replace the idea of having a girlfriend with just flirting with every girl alive. And they're like, oh, but, you know, I'm being being good and righteous and holy because I'm not dating in high school. I just flirt with everyone. And it's what Amy's saying. You get your emotional uh, satisfaction, your emotional fix... By flirting with everyone possible. And you do it because you want to feel good about yourself. And, you, and, and guys, here's what you're doing. You want to know in the back of your mind that if you wanted to date her, you could. You're like, oh, I mean, she likes I'm sure she likes me. She flirts. I flirt with her. We're good. I'm, you know, I'm fine. I don't need to date her, but I could. That's what you want. You want this idea. And so, like I said, so many guys re- replace that. And they find their identity by flirting with every girl possible. Even guys that have girlfriends. Not that you should have a girlfriend, but I'm just saying, you do too. You flirt all the time. And it's become the way that we have learned how to interact with each other. And I have a, I have a higher vision for you. I want you. I want, trust me. I want you to have healthy relationship with guys and girls. I think that's good. But the problem is, is that we're always, uh, we're always flirting. And, and ultimately, it's in an unhealthy way where you're trying to get your good feeling, you're trying to get your identity in how you interact with other people. And, uh, and let, me just, let me just, fellas, dudes, let me tell you a good reason not to be a massive flirt. Drama. I'm telling you, when you, I, oh, you are inviting more drama in your life, listen, we don't like drama, and the ladies love it. And so... Oh, no. <laughs> 
They say they don't, but they bring it. I'm just joking, but seriously. So guys, listen, if you're flirting with, a, I don't even care, you're, you're flirting with one girl, but you don't really like her, you're not interested in her, you're whatever, she is going to start thinking otherwise. She's going to talk to her friends, and then they talk to her friends. And soon all the school knows that you guys had a phone conversation last night, and you're like, oh my goodness, I asked her what the number seven was on science homework. Okay. And all of a sudden there's drama, or, or, I mean, God forbid that you actually talk to two girls in one night on the phone at two separate times. That's drama that you don't want. And so the best way to do that, be totally honest, be upfront, don't flirt. Don't, you don't need these, these extended hugs and... And these, like, I, I, I hate, like, when I see girls, like, this is for the ladies, I guess, but, like, girls, like, playing with guys' hair or, or like, scratching his back. Oh, we're just good friends. And I just... You're not brothers and sisters. Yeah, this is, no, 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 but that's, that's my favorite part. Brothers and sisters don't do that. But that's what everybody says. Oh, he's like a brother to me. Oh, she's like my sister. No! You don't do that with your siblings. I have siblings. I know! That is the dumbest excuse I've ever heard. So don't do it. Oh, and here's the other thing. If any of you know me or have heard me talk before, you've heard this. Girls, do not hold hands. You are not in kindergarten anymore. So here's the thing. And you know why you do it? Because you get attention from guys. That's really why you do it. It's a, I don't have a boyfriend, and so I'm going to hold this girl's hand. And you may not really be thinking it, but you're hoping that only if a guy, if that guy over there saw me, I really want this to be his hand. You know, so, like, just don't do it. Don't sit on each other's laps. Don't play with each other's hair. Like, just don't, just don't do it. Even if you don't know that's why you do things, that's why you do things. Okay, I want to talk about how we, what we do. Um, I want to, I believe that we don't have to be young men and young women that give in to lust. I wholeheartedly, I've seen it. I've, I've talked to people about it. I, I, I've talked to young men. I've talked to young women that have lived it. I know them. You do not have to give in to the, what the cultural norms say. You don't have to give in to what this world tells you you have to be or you just are naturally going to be. You can be someone that really is set apart the whole motivation for being for, for purity and, and not lusting, by the way, is not just to be a good person. It's because we want to be a people set apart unto Jesus, for Jesus. He has called us to live above that, and so we want to, and we can. And so I want to go through real quick uh, the way we can. And the primary way, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about getting happy. All right, so get happy. Here's our McDonald's Happy Meal. We've been talking about McDonald's all night. You all want Big Macs and fries right now. I can tell. Double quarter pounder with cheese. Oh, yeah. Get happy, all right? The way to be someone that overcomes lust, the way to be someone that does not give in to, the, to lust, number one, or letter H, happy, is honesty. Honesty with yourself and honesty with your peers. You need to get honest. You need to, t- you need to be willing to talk, and you need to be willing to say, hey, look, this is something I struggle with. This is so-. To yourself. You need to be honest with yourself because most of us, like I said, we've, we've, in our mind, we've made up rationalizations to why things are okay. So get honest with yourself. Number two, a, letter A, accountability, honesty, accountability. It's what we always talk about. Get, get guys, get two or three guys around you. Girls, have, have two or three girls around you that are going to call you to righteousness, that are going to be your support, that are going to love you in the good days and the bad, that are going to be the person that helps you stay accountable in this. Letter P, pray. I've yet to find anybody that can live a lustful lifestyle while praying. 
And so this is the idea of taking every thought captive. When those thoughts come in your mind, pray about them. And you'll be shocked how quickly they go away. And also, um, something that I have prayed for any time I feel like I'm going through something or working through something or wanting to overcome something is I pray before I go to bed and I pray first thing when I get up in the morning. So I'm not saying like you need to schedule like an hour before you go to bed to like deal with, pray through this issue. No, just a simple prayer when you're laying in bed. God, give me the grace tomorrow. God, give me the grace tomorrow to not indulge in my flesh, but to kill my flesh and to submit it to you, Jesus, because I'm following you. God, give me the grace. Pray that when you go to bed and pray that when you get up in the morning. And I can, I can guarantee, I guarantee if you pray that in a week, you will see a difference. All right, the second P is, get, is practical. Be practical. This is the idea of making pre-decision decisions. Decide what you want ahead of time. And this, is, this, this goes to what Amy was saying, to have a, have a bedtime and a time you get up. This is, these are the firewalls in your life. If, if you know that flirting is your struggle, then talk to someone and say, hey, I need you. If you see me starting to flirt, call me out on it. Slap me upside the face. You know, you need to, if you know that watching movies is, 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 is your problem, stop watching movies. Make the, get practical and make the pre-decisions decisions that will help you be successful. And then the why is yield to God's grace. The Bible says that we, we will not be tempted with anything that we cannot overcome beyond what we can bear. But we need to yield to his grace. It's not in your strength. It's not in your power. It's not by what you can do, but through him that we can, that we can overcome these things. Hebrews 4, 6 is one of, um, sorry, Hebrews four sixteen. One of the verses that when I was going through a season in my life, and I think we all go through them where we struggle at different times. Um, and this verse talks about approaching the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we will find help in our time of need. That his grace is not just his unmerited favor, but his grace is his enabling strength. So praying, God, give me the strength to not indulge. Give me the strength to submit my flesh to you. And let me tell you that yielding to that grace, yielding to his strength, relying on it, pressing into it in that moment when it's so hard, asking the Holy Spirit, convict me. Convict me when I'm allowing my mind to wander. And he will. And then ask him for his grace to say no to those thoughts and to redirect them. Start meditating on truth. Start thinking about, okay, God, no. No, I don't want to think about that. But I'm going to focus on you and who you are and your love for me. And it, just in, the last thing I just want to just comment and just share with you guys is that our heart is not one of legalism. But it's of love. And that, one, we love Jesus and he's paid the price for our freedom. And what do we walk and live in the fullness of it? We're not just saying, don't have fun. And so we're saying all of these things. Don't dress cute because that's lustful and sinful. No, 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 no. We're saying that there is a God who is so ravished by your heart. Would we live lives responding to that love and our purity? And knowing that lust is bondage. It is death. It is destruction. It's destroying your future. It's destroying your family. It's destroying your future marriage. Don't, like, we got to get a hatred for this. And knowing that it's, it's limiting our freedom in Jesus. It's limiting our relationship with him that he paid for and that he bought. And so our desire isn't that we want to put all these rules on you because we need to look like good Christian people. No, we want to respond to a God who loves us and live like it. And that we would love each other and care about each other. 
James 1, evil desires lead to sin, and sin leads to death. We see, we see that painted in David's life with the story of David and Bathsheba. In chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, a prophet, a prophet comes to David and calls him out, and uh, calls him out for his sin. And Psalm 51 records David's response. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I want to tell you, David, I don't think was... uh, trashy man. He allowed evil desires to get in and cause sin, which led to death. But it was said of David that he was a man after God's own heart. It was said of David that he accomplished everything God had for him in his generation. And so I want to let you guys know tonight that if this is something that, is, that you feel bound in, the thing that made David great was that when he sinned, this is his response. When he sinned, he said, create in me a clean heart. Cast me not away from your presence. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't take the Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of my salvation. So I just want to pray for you guys now. Go ahead and stand. And I want, to, I want to invite DLA and the furnace just to come down. I know we've gone a little late tonight, um, so I know some of you have to go, but if you, if you want someone to pray for you tonight on any of these areas, we want to pray for you. And don't leave if, if that's the case. Don't, don't, don't leave if, if you feel like, I need to deal with this tonight. Deal with this tonight. If this is something that you want to overcome in your life, I'm telling you. Honesty, accountability, prayer, practical, and yielding to God's grace. Exercise those things. Get a happy meal in your life. A happy meal of purity. That's what you need. Don't be a McLust bucket. But you can be someone who David, even in his weakness, even in, in uh, um, I mean, this is a man, he, he didn't just lust in his heart. He committed adultery. He lied. He murdered. I mean, think about it. He committed adultery. He lied. He dishonored God. He murdered. He, uh, he dishonored his parents because of the way he dishonored God, or because of his actions. I, I, I think if, I think if he had done this on the Sabbath, he would have broken all Ten Commandments. And yet he said, create in me a clean heart. He came with full repentance. And he was forgiven and reestablished. And he reached the calling that God had on his life. And so I want to encourage you tonight, if this is something, if the enemy has been attacking you with this, deal with it tonight. You haven't ruined anything. There is hope for a future. But if you don't, evil desires will lead to sin and that does lead to death spiritual death maybe not Uriah type murder but it leads to spiritual death let me pray for you if you want to come get prayer come come down you can even come while I'm praying if you need to go then I understand Jesus I pray for my friends tonight may we be people that live for you and to you in holiness and purity God, I pray that there will be a a hatred 
for the lust of this age. That, there will be, that, that it won't be even anything that we desire or want. That, that it will be gross to us. God, I pray for every young man and every young woman that we will be marked by loving you and living like you, that we will take every thought captive. May we be honest. I pray that we will have accountability, that, that you will bring around each one of us comrades that will call us to the highest. May we be men and women of prayer. May we practically set before us ways to, 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 to live right. And may we daily yield to your grace. We love you, God. Amen. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.